0: I don't like funerals. I think it started with the movie My Girl, when Macaulay Culkin gets stung by all those bees. It's one of the most unfair things I've ever seen happen in a movie, and it probably scarred me for life. Funerals are not my favorite thing. Whoever is in the most amount of pain at a funeral is usually the one who's carrying the heaviest burden of everyone else's mourning. Everybody's coming up to you like, I never told anyone this about so-and-so, but I had an affair and she kept it a secret. Like, they're dropping bombs on you, which makes it hard because you don't have any time. You have an hour, hour and a half. Everything is highly regimented and scheduled. So if you're busy talking to me about your deep, dark secrets about my loved one, you're wasting my time. I'm Utkar Shambhutkar, and this is Close to Death. Today we're closing out the season with a story from the writer and producer Greg Heller about a different kind of funeral.
1: I actually started thinking about this stuff a long time ago. Because I saw my first dead body when I was 12 years old. A friend and I were on the beach one morning, and we found a diver who had gone out The night before and drown and washed up on the sand. And until that morning, death was like just this thing, this abstraction, something that was going to happen one day. But the body made it real. And I became really fascinated with death. I also became really afraid of it. And all the funerals or memorials I went to, the ceremonies were religious or nostalgic or spiritual, but they felt really removed from what made my introduction to death so potent—the corpse. This rabbi's, like, flowery musing about the everlasting soul or whatever, it just kind of seemed like a distraction or a lie. It seemed like we were avoiding the body. But I'm going to deal with the body right now. And to deal with the body, I'm going to become the body. We are going to um, inflate my deathbed now. Deathbed, inflate. My deathbed is a cheap inflatable mattress from Costco, the kind you keep handy for drunk friends or in-laws, but it should be fine for a corpse. And today, I'm a corpse. I I think the deathbed is upside down. We're in the backyard of a friend's house in Outwater Village, Los Angeles, where soon I'll be washed, shrouded, and eulogized. This is my funeral. I've been planning it for a week with the help of a woman named Jill Shock. Jill sees dead people, all the time, in person.
2: We were running the numbers, and it was pretty close to 1,000. Wow,
1: it's like the way more extreme version of the how many people have you slept with conversation. Right, <laughs> yeah. Jill is a death doula, which if you know what a birth doula is, is kind of like that, only instead of guiding new life into this world, she guides old life out of it. I mean, not all of her clients are old, but they are all about to die. And so am I. Not really. I'm just practicing. And Jill's going to help. I think most people associate doulas with giving birth and wearing a lot of Lululemon, but you are a death doula. What does a death doula do?
2: Well, I might still wear a lot of Lululemon. (laughs) I think everybody (laughs) has this past year. Um, But really in the same way that a birth doula would approach their... Pregnant and laboring client, I approach people who have terminal illnesses and walk them through their planning and their laboring process as well. A lot of people don't know that death is an actual labor. It can take anywhere from about one to three months, not sudden death, of course. Um, so, right. sudden yeah. death is much
1: faster. <laughs> Very fast. Sudden death should not take three months. No.
2: <laughs> I'm helping people navigate. I'm doing a lot of emotional support. A lot of shepherding, if you will, um, and making sure also all their logistics and paperwork is in order, so they don't have to worry about it.
1: Um, there's a lot of paperwork. Meaning, like, if you die and you haven't filled out the paperwork, are you? Do you not? Are you not dead? What is the paperwork? <laughs> like, if I'm terminally ill, what paperwork do I have to file?
2: Well, first, if you're terminally ill, or even if you're 18 and over and healthy, you really want to fill out your advanced healthcare directive which basically says if something were to happen to you and you can't speak for yourself anymore who do we call and then the other set of paperwork literally is the paperwork that declares that you're dead is filing everything for your death certificate with a funeral home
1: why did you start doing this were you
2: always fascinated with death um you know i did grow up With the cliché things like reading Edgar Allan Poe, I think when I grew up I had the Goosebumps books and whatever, really the first time death affected me was at the age of 21. I was engaged to be married to somebody and his father died and I was just like, okay, so is someone supposed to help us or are we just going to flail around? And we just flailed around and the whole family got torn apart. I just didn't want to see that happen to anybody else. So I became the help.
1: Um, one of your mantras is, it's okay to die. Yeah. Can you explain to us the stigma of, about
2: dying? Um, so a lot of times, if you're terminally ill, uh, doctors, because they take an oath to first do no harm, you know, they want to save you. So if you're dying, there's sort of this element of, I failed, you know, I'm not, I can't survive, you know, this guilty mentality. And do patients absorb it that way? They do. They feel really bad. It's like, we've built up a big culture, especially in cancer culture, around survivors. You know, they give speeches, and they're like, I survived. And what I want people to hear is that it's really not up to you. It's your body, it's your biology. People know the truth about their mortality. Like when you're dying, your instincts will finally tell you like we're dying. And so to have everybody else including your doctor saying like, "Come on, you can do this." And you know deep inside you really can't. That makes you feel pretty pretty bad. And that's why I say to people, it's okay. It's okay to die.
1: It's okay to die. And it's okay to fake die. But in either event, if you want a death doula, you'll have to answer a few questions.
2: So the first question would be, who needs help? You or a loved one? I need help, Jill. Okay. I'm about to die. All right. Have you received a terminal diagnosis from your medical provider? Okay, so I've thought about the cause of death one quite a bit.
1: Hmm. Um, and I have really bad dry skin right now. So I, in my brain, a dermatologist has been like, we exhausted all possible means of moisturizing Greg, <laughs> and he has one week to live. So I want to die of, like, super bad dry skin. Okay. I do, in fact, have chronic dry skin. Eczema. It sucks. Sometimes I have to slather my feet in ointment and sleep with socks on, and then those socks get super greasy, and you have to wash them, like, seven times. Maybe not fatal but a bummer, and also way funnier than fake dying of pancreatic cancer. But what about folks who actually want to hire Jill? If a normal, non-podcast person wants her services, do they have to show some kind of proof of pending expiration? What if you wanted all her comfort and compassion so badly, you just lied?
2: I would catch you. There are people (laughs) who have thought that they are dying and they are not dying. And there's many reasons for that. Um, But wait, hold on. So people with like a psychosomatic illness
1: have attempted to have you render services. 100%. Yes. And you basically
2: like called, you said, hey, you're lying about dying. I said, you know, when was the last time you have you gone to the doctor? What does your doctor say? Well, I don't go to the doctor because I don't trust the doctor. So I do hear that a lot. But if you're not dying right here, right now, you're not appropriate for my personal practice.
1: So, a note for the dying. Get a note that you're dying. And if you do employ Jill as your death doula, just know she will be at your side for all things end of life. No matter how painful, bittersweet, or intimate.
2: I've heard some pretty gnarly confessions. Um, there was one, there I didn't know this was possible, but I had a client who had cancer on her clitoris. And- um, Very speci- what a specific cancer that is.
3: Right? I,
2: I don't know how that happened, but she was really funny and she, um, when all her family was around and we were in her final days, almost her final words, but she was like, I knew I should have laid off that vibrator. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: So why do we need you? What's what's wrong with the way most terminally ill people die?
2: Well, what people don't know is that they have the right to do their funeral really in ways that are authentic to them. You don't have to do everything through a funeral home and pay for their flowers and their officiant and their casket and their grave even. You know, you don't even have to be put in the ground anymore if you don't want to. Um, a lot of my clients choose to have their funeral before they die. I had a lot of fun doing a living funeral for a Cuban family. Like we had the car in the parking lot and we had the salsa music turned way up. Everybody was dancing and although she couldn't really dance, it was so beautiful just to see everybody (laughs) just dancing and having the best time. And she was just like, that's my favorite song, turn it up even louder. So we were definitely disturbing the (laughs) peace. Um, But nobody cared. Yeah, and
1: if you call the cops on like a 97-year-old Cuban woman, fuck you. Yeah, that's why
2: nobody cared. That's why everyone was like, what are they going to do, shut us down? And I was (laughs) like, yeah, maybe, but...
1: (laughs) Um, What's wrong
2: with the regular
1: graveyard funeral people have? Are they just super played out?
2: Yeah, and I think what a lot of people don't realize is that this is a publicly traded industry that's worth close to $30 billion a year. So all the prices are really jacked up. Like to buy, like let's say you wanted to be buried at. Yeah. F- <laughs> right. That my aunt like... Elaine, my aunt Elaine is buried at. Well, I bet you aunt Elaine spent like forty forty five thousand dollars to be buried at. Right, yeah. Uh, she spent most of her money
1: on cigarettes. I can tell you that right now. <laughs> that is why she is buried at. <laughs> but I do not know the exact cause of or the exact price of her burial.
2: Right. Well, I know prices in my head, so I can tell you it's about there. And then they're going to sell you a casket, and caskets go up to like $30,000. There's one that's like, it's called the Prometheus casket, it's coated in bronze and like gold-plated. Like, it's insane. Does it help you get into heaven? (laughs) I hope so. I hope it sprouts wings and flies you to heaven. Um, But then, you know, you have to, there's the cement vault, and then they sell you the whole... Funeral, you have to rent the chapel, you have to pay someone to turn the lights on, you gotta pay for flowers. So they just get you, you know what I'm saying? So you actually don't have to do any of that. You can get what's called a direct cremation, which is just cremating your body, flame. Uh, We have water cremation here in California as well. Wait, is that just like a super powerful hose that like sprays you (laughs) until your body decomposes? Uh, It's acid water. Let's put it that way. It's like
1: cartel shit. Yeah. It really is. Like they put you in a bathtub with acid? Mm Mm-hmm. Jill, you guys... (laughs) I just, can I, I realize I'm not one of your PR people, but you have to stop <laughs> saying acid water. Like, I just can't imagine if you're putting the brochures in front of people, someone's like, acid water, that sounds cool. Sounds pleasant. That just, like, can't you call it, like, the dissolving pool or something? Isn't there some <laughs> other way to call it? Like, the pool of absolution or something? Anyway, <laughs> that would so- be nice. Something to think about. Okay, hard pass on the acid water and harder pass on Antelaine's 30K casket. Surely there are cheaper, less gruesome options. Jill suggests we just skip the pricey burial hardware, keep my body nice and whole, and wrap it in something soft. An old-school burial shroud,
2: like Jesus had. So we can use any any shroud that's made out of natural materials like cotton or hemp, muslin. Uh, things like that, and we can just go down to a fabric store or the fashion district and get a uh, Greg-sized shroud. Right, and... so it
1: will not be. A, I know what you. I know what the joke is there, Jill. <laughs> I'm not that tall. It's fine. It's fine. We can get like a. If we maybe they have shrouds for kids or whatever. We can just get the largest kid shroud, and I will totally fit into it.
2: There you go. We'll get a kid's large, <laughs> and uh, we'll wrap you up. And we can, we can also put you know, um, I like to use plants that have good smells. And this, this is something that dates all the way back to the Victorian era, but stuff like lavender or lilies, you know, it's so cliche, but they have this, lilies really do have a great smell that masks the kind of tinge of death. It's not so pungent, but you can smell it. It's there. And lilies- Like a
1: college dorm room or whatever, where people haven't done their laundry in a while. The gym and everything smells
2: like ball sweat. So, um, yeah. (laughs) Okay.
1: Um, And I can pick, like the herbs and spices that go on my body or whatever? Totally, okay. yeah. I, want, I think I want cilantro on my body if that's okay. Uh, is that okay?
2: Well, some people might be cilantro adverse. Yeah, but... I don't care,
1: but I, it's, <laughs> this is my death, Jill. Okay. If these people are cilantro tasters and they think it tastes like soap, they can fuck off. <laughs> it's my body. I think I want people to drink alcohol at it. I want there to be really good Mexican food. Yes. Um, I want to be really in control of the music. Yeah. And I would like to be outside. A lot of my favorite memories of being alive are of laying on my back and looking at the sky. Yeah. Um. And I th- and I feel sort of most calm when I'm doing
2: that. I think that's all really good. That's that's a good lineup. I would love to attend your funeral.
1: <laughs> it's going to be a good
2: funeral. <laughs> we should be saying that to everybody. Like, God, I'd love to attend your funeral. That sounds like it's going to be really fun. I, you know, that's. I think we should I'd love to see us get there in a cultural aspect yeah that would
1: be a really interesting sea change to get to know someone for a while instead of saying something lame like but that guy had a good bachelor party or whatever bullshit to say like oh my god I, I really want to go to that guy's funeral one day yeah a good funeral I'm gonna have a good funeral with warm words authentic tacos and a few bespoke surprises for those who send me off I picked up the fabric for my burial shroud, three yards of Pantone 294, Dodger Blue, my color for eternity. And I know, if God is real, by the time this podcast drops, we will have repeated as world champs, thus negating all your whiny bullshit about an asterisk in 2020. I secured a few friends to wash my body and wrap it up, but... My funeral has yet to really take shape. Luckily, Jill is both death steward and party planner.
2: Some people do full-blown like Irish wake style, like the bodies in the house and we have a party, we have a catered, we have a bartender. Those are actually really fun.
1: And this party happens in the presence of the corpse. Yes. So, are these is it usually a cash bar or open bar? <laughs>
2: usually we pay ahead of time it's usually an open bar so
1: so one of the things you have seen is like someone over at the um ipod like looking for the right
2: song (laughs) people like chugging beer or whatever
1: in the presence of a dead person
2: yeah actually i've seen people create their own playlists for after they die that's very common i'm by the way i'm absolutely doing that because you should i'm
1: terrified that of entrusting people with my music selection after I die. There's absolutely no chance. I'm with you. I Also, like, I might want to put some new music on it that people haven't heard, and maybe we can figure out a way where you could say, Greg really wanted you to hear this band after he's dead because he wants to make sure he knows (laughs) in the afterlife that he introduced you to this band even after I'm dead.
2: Perfect. What we can do is we can uh, record a video of you saying, like, you must do this, or I will come back and haunt you. Okay. Um, And then <laughs> we can have the music play after that.
1: Do people who work in the death business, or do you personally ever listen to death metal? Do you ever listen to, like, Deicide or Cannibal Corpse to get really pumped for a day at work?
2: Cannibal Corpse, yeah. Sometimes, yeah. And it's funny, like, some of us, you know, you might expect that some of us are very like gothy or whatever, and we do we all do have our edges. Jill, that was an excellent answer. I was actually just kind of trolling you a little bit,
1: but the correct <laughs> answer is yes, I listen to cannibal corpse before <laughs> I go to work as a death duel. Yes. And I I like suddenly am much more attracted to your job. <laughs> Prior to this experience. If you told me I'd have a death doula who stages open bar funerals and blasts cannibal corpse, I would have said, what the fuck is a death doula? But now I know, and I'm elated to have Jill as my shepherd for this emotional journey to the fake end of my life. And I'm committed to the role. I'm going full method actor. I want this thing to feel real. So I ask Jill for some direction. Die with eyes open or closed. And what should I do with my mouth? Is it just gonna hang there? Do you have to
2: bandage the jaw shut? Um, Not necessarily bandage. Actually, my favorite thing to use is just a regular size hand towel. You know, the rectangular ones like in the bathroom or the kitchen. That size seems to be like a one size fits all. For heads. Yeah, for heads.
1: But you can't just like close the jaw. You can't like set it and forget it with the jaw.
2: Yeah, you have, to, you have to tie something around the head. And this is something you wanna do right after someone dies because for some reason, the jaw is like one of the first things to stiffen up. And it's also one of the most attractive things when someone's like, eh, because they will die with their mouth open because they're breathing through their mouth.
1: But that's like, there's no problem with dying with your mouth open. You just kind of look stupid, right? <laughs> you
2: just kind of look a little bit like that painting The Scream.
1: I flash back on that diver I found on the beach when I was a kid. His face is frozen. And I know it's just some basic biological function of dying, but he looks scared. I sometimes think that look is sort of a warning from death. This could be you. This will be you.
2: What about eyes? Eyes are interesting. You can just, you know, you've probably seen like in Hollywood, like films, like people just like pass their hand over the eyes and they close or they'll put coins on them. That's actually kind of true because both sides of your eyelids are getting drier and drier as you dry out. So if you just kind of push them down a couple times, they'll stick. And so you don't have to worry about it too much. So I just keep push them down a few times. So both
1: mouth and eyes are just like, so no one wants to stare at the eyes of a dead person. Right. And no one wants to like see your tongue after you're dead or whatever. There's no, okay. I always assume there was some like um, other reason for it, but it's really just so people don't look terrifying after they're dead.
2: Exactly. And sometimes people will choose to like abandon a home funeral with the body there if the corpse doesn't, and, like, it looks very unattractive. I've had people say, like, you know what? Forget about it. This is not what I envisioned. Let's bail. <laughs> <laughs>
1: kind of a dick move to bail on a funeral and body shame the body. Anyway, now that I know what dying is like, I'm ready to do it. It's time. And I can feel my skin getting drier. The lotions have stopped working. There is no cream emollient enough to keep my feet soft. So I head across town, stopping at a local grocer for mangoes, cilantro, a case of tecate. I pick up tacos, de lengua y al pastor, yes I said that in Spanish, fuck you, and I arrive at my funeral around noon. It's bright and hot, but there's a familiar spring breeze. Pandemic guidelines mean attendance is limited, plus I didn't tell many people I was dying. I'm not even sure my wife knows. I am now in, the, in Atwater Village in the backyard of my close friend Dave and Alexis's house. Say hello, Dave and Alexis. Hello. Hi. How you guys? And now here I am, on my back, on that cheap inflatable mattress, taking one last look at the sky above Los Angeles. There's an absurdity to this moment. It's an act. But it also feels poignant and sweet and sad. It really does feel like practice. And then it's go time. It's time to go. Jill, are you here with me?
2: I'm here with you, Greg.
1: Thank you, Jill, for being here with me. Jill, my skin is so dry. I cannot wait to transition, and I think I am... I think I'm ready, Jill.
3: Okay.
2: You're in the final moments of your life, and all you really need to do is just relax into it, take a few deep breaths, and close your eyes. And start to take inventory of all the things that you're gonna miss in this life, and thank them, and remember all the joy that you had.
1: Joe, is it possible for me to take like a sip of Tacate before
2: Absolutely. I pass. It. Okay. There you go, Greg. Last sip of tocate. Final sip of
1: beer. Jill, I, I I'm gonna miss um Mexican beer. Except for Corona. I'm not gonna miss Corona, but I'm gonna miss other Mexican beers. Okay, Jill. What do I do now? How do I die?
2: Just relax into it, take a few deep breaths. And in a moment, you should be dead.
1: Okay. Um, Goodbye, everyone. Goodbye, Dave and Alexis. Goodbye, Greg. Thank you for letting me die on your lawn. Okay, I am going to die now. All right. All right? Okay. If you know me, even if you don't, this is the moment you've been waiting for. Greg's mouth will be finally and forever shut.
2: Alexis and Dave, Greg has died. And some of his wishes were that we care for his body after death. So what we're going to do is we're just going to give him a light washing. The first thing I'm going to do is actually tie this around his jaw because he's died with his mouth open.
1: Okay, now my mouth is finally and forever shut.
2: All right, now Greg has been ceremonially washed, and now we're gonna shroud him in this Dodger blue shroud that he picked out himself. So we start at the bottom. We just kinda tuck and bring his feet closer together. And then we're gonna come in at an angle here.
1: As anyone who's ever suffered beans and guac tumbling from their tortilla knows, Proper burrito wrapping technique is critical. And with a corpse, the stakes feel slightly higher. But this wrap is done with the care of close friends. And the carne asada, me, is snug and secure. I began this process with such crushing anxiety about death that I was afraid to fake die. But here I am, washed and moisturized, cocooned and cozy. I have finally become the body and the body is relaxed. Real death is probably a bit heavier, but for now, this fake dying man could comfortably die for real. But what about our death doula, Jill? Has this job, the constant proximity to death, made her less or more excited to die?
2: The job has made me want to die a certain way. Like, I would be really pissed as I float away out of my body if I were to just get slammed by a truck and die. I feel like I would be robbed of something. Um, Now, some people want to just go out like that. But I would like to have a conscious dying process. I would like to have a huge rager before I go. And then I would love people to have a huge rager after I go. I want the Irish wake. I want natural burial. Um, So I kind of have my ideas of how I want it to go. But if there's anything I've learned about life is that there are no guarantees. So I'm just very careful driving and (laughs) I don't ride motorcycles or get in helicopters or anything like that. Really? Yeah. And I think what people assume about death workers is that we're just fine and dandy with death. But the truth is, I'm a human animal, which means I'm conscious, which means I'm always uncomfortable about the fact that my life is finite. What do you think happens when we die? I think whatever you believe happens, happens. I kind of think you create your own reality. Um, I think, so what my belief is, is you kind of you sleep into it, and I really do think it's kind of The atmosphere is like that dream-within-a-dream type feeling, where you're deep into it, and... Like Inception. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. It's a dream inside a dream. Yes. You
1: don't get to know what happens after you die. But with Good Fortune and The Right Guide, you can know what happens when you're dying. Of course, there's no bitchin', personalized bye-bye party if you're, say, torn apart by wolves. But sudden death does have its upsides. No anticipation, no anxiety, it's more memorable. I mean, is there anything lamer than natural causes? So, how do I want to go? The short answer is peacefully. The true answer is I don't know yet. I'll figure it out later. I have so much life left to live. And now, the conclusion of my funeral.
2: So Greg's been shrouded. He's been adorned with cilantro, a mango, and rosemary. And Alexis, I know you've prepared some words. Yes, thank you. All right.
0: Hi, everyone. Thank you for being here.
2: For those who don't know me, my name is Alexis, and I had the great privilege of working with Greg for many years. But to me, he was more than just a boss or mentor. He was also a close and loyal friend. So it saddens me to see him now dead on an inflatable mattress in my backyard. Greg recorded a message for us to play today. I'd like to play it now.
3: Greg is dead, he died, he stopped being alive. He wanted to survive, his skin was just too dry. And so use used this time to reflect on why he was good. And if you try not to cry, you will fail. Greg is gone. He passed. His time, it went so fast. But life, it turns and warps. And now he is a corpse. So take a beat, and take a seat, you you're sad, that Greg moved on, he's on your lawn, he expired, the soul he had, it left. So, uh,
0: Yeah. I really want to eat a taco now. I would love some al pastor. <laughs> I uh, and uh, I think you passed away before you realized your true purpose as a so- singer songwriter.
1: Oh no no no! I realized my true purpose as a singer songwriter many many years ago, with Karch. I just did not pull it off.
0: Well, I'm glad you I'm glad you got a last hurrah.
1: Thank you very much. I'm very glad I got to subject listeners to one final song. Let me just say, like I. First of all, I have risen, just for the record. I am fully alive and I come away from this process like very firmly believing that we can break away from that idea of like, show up at two, fucking shrimp puffs until 2.30, give a couple of crappy speeches for an hour, have a vodka tonic, go home. Like There's a different way to do this that really does honor the person. And I'm thinking about the people in my life that I love and the inevitability that some of their funerals are going to suck. And I I want to spare them from that. I want them to meet Jill or someone like her.
0: Yeah, I mean, I don't know if I need one who listens to death metal and talks about ball sweat, but maybe there's a death doula out there for all of us. (laughs) If you or someone you love needs help dying, Jill's got you. Learn more at deathdoulala.com. I've been dying to talk about dying for a long time, and I just want to say thanks. This is the last episode of this season of Close to Death, so thanks for being curious with me. You now officially know more about death than most of your friends, and probably more than your dead relatives, too. This episode was produced by Jordan Bailey and Greg Heller, with production support from Ali Graham and Camille Peterson. I'm your host, Utkar Shambhutkar. Jordan Bailey is lead producer, Sarah Nix is executive editor. Greta Cohn is executive producer. Kessler Childers and Greg Lubin are executive producers for Powder Keg. Our USG Audio team includes Josh Block, Jessica Grimshaw, Jennifer Sears, Lauren Rackow, Daniel Welsh, and Craig Bloom. Mixing and sound design by Nocturnal Sound. Production assistance from Greta Weber and Maura Waltz. This is a USG Audio podcast in collaboration with Transmitter Media and Powderkeg. For more information, go to our website, usgaudio.com.
3: song comes to an end lift your head and think about something else like rye bread with pastrami or a taco al pastor some lions or a film you like a bank account that's offshore Some bills you owe A cup of Joe Pencil and